0: He makes a way where there ain't no way Appeal until oh, let me tell you about About me Let me tell you about my Jesus, oh, he makes a way where
1: there ain't no way, rises up from a
2: today. Um, You can be changing your, I'm sorry, you can be looking in your Bibles to uh, 1328, page 1328 today in the church Bibles. Uh, Real quick report, things, uh, our son Ryan and his wife Brooke, things are still progressing fine there. They had a little scare last week, but uh, bless the Lord, all is good. And uh, so as it stands right now, they will, uh, the baby will get here on Monday, week from tomorrow, so the 30th, and uh, pray that baby and mom and all that is uh, in the Lord's hands. That's, uh, that's what we're counting on. Also, praise Amanda and Daniel Haynes. Uh, I saw a picture circulating yesterday that they had little, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Yeah, August. Yeah, thank you. Um, Oh my word, he looked like a little peanut on Daniel. Of course, Daniel, Daniel's up here anyway, he looked like a little peanut on his chest right here. But anyway, bless the Lord, that little baby's doing good. So thank Jesus for that. Also, we'll remember the Placencia family uh, this week. They're going to be traveling, I think, for a couple of weeks, so we'll uh, keep them in our prayers. <clears throat> All right, we're in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 8. <clears throat> And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious amen it's an awesome picture of god's spirit his presence and what that may look like lord i just pray continue to teach us in your ways and show us who you are let's pray this morning lord we thank you and we praise you for a time to come together and uh, just to give you praise and honor and glory for all you've done in our lives. And Lord, that we just pray you never stop, Lord, converting us into people who would look more like you. And Lord, this picture of your glory, of your spirit, Lord, is amazing to think that people could not even look at the face of Moses who had been exposed to your glory in a passing way. Father, we um, once again are humbled this picture we're also amazed at the uh, magnitude that this shows how you are the only god the only living and true god who created all things and lord we just bless you for what you're going to teach us today not only here but in all the classes father we pray your will be done and your name jesus be lifted above all things pray god you give us all the ears we need our hearts that are open, and uh, Lord, I pray that we can tune in with your Holy Spirit today as we, we seek your guidance and your truth. In your holy name, we do pray, Lord, for uh, <clears throat> you continue to raise up your own name in Ryan and Brooks' family, in uh, Daniel and Amanda's family, and uh, pray you be with the Placencia family as they travel, Lord, you give them safe travels, and uh, use them as your people as they go. We bless you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you are, for all you've done, and all you will do. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. I love you,
3: Lord. For your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Cause all my- Bye.
4: I
5: Of night, questioning what is out of sight, he is the answer, he is the light. If you have felt the weight of sin, bound by the shame that's hemmed you in, he broke the chains, he will fall.
6: And amen, and amen. <laughs> well, we continue to uh, be studying in the book of Romans, and so we're also continuing in chapter 9. So if you'll turn with me to page 1302. Last week, Daniel gave us a great message on the covenants, and if you've not listened to that message, I pray you'd go in and listen to it. It helps to give us some understanding to the fullness that chapter 9 is about. So I want to read, starting in verse 1, actually on page 1301. So let's start in 9, verse 1. I want to read up to where our lesson is going to actually start today so that we will not be jumping in the middle of thoughts. So page 1301, chapter 9, verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, from whom, according to the flesh, came Christ, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So a couple of weeks ago, we um, began to understand and unpack this and understanding that not all of Israel are those that are out of the lineage of Jacob. Just because they were born under the lineage of Abraham or under the lineage of Jacob doesn't mean that they are in the kingdom which is referred to as Israel. So I wanted to kind of make that clear again. Verse 9 says, For this is the promise, I'm sorry, for this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, For the children, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. This is a hard to understand passage, and we did spend quite a bit of time on it two weeks ago, so... I pray that you'll go back and listen to that if you're still struggling to see the fullness of it. But what we want to gather from this place is that God, in his sovereignty, established a people. And it began with Abraham and the covenants and continued through God's chosen people. And I like to say that they're not special people but they're chosen. What I mean by that is they're not special in that God loves the children of Israel more than the Gentile people. He never did. He never loved them more. But rather, because of His sovereignty, He chose to use them for His purpose. And so in that regard, we understand that for His purpose, it says uh, in verse 11... For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And that word election gets so twisted and misused. I really like the word selection better. That by God's selection, by his choice, he chose that the younger would, I'm sorry, the older would serve the younger. He chose that that way by his own selection. But he knew from the beginning of time how it would unfold. And part of his purpose in choosing this was helping us to understand what Paul is teaching us right here. And that is is that the flesh which is born first in order to be a part of Israel, a part of the kingdom, must bow down and serve the spirit. So it's a picture of flesh and spirit with Jacob and Esau, the older son who sold his birthright. And the, the younger son, Jacob, who received the birthright, now received the blessings of the firstborn. It's a picture of our spirit. And our flesh, our flesh laying down that our spirit might reign in the kingdom. Does that make sense? That's when you go to verse 13 and it says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Before they had done anything good or evil, is what it says a little bit earlier there. It says before they've done anything good or evil, God has already determined that it would be this way because the flesh does not surrender to his will and his purpose. So the flesh he hates, the one that's born first. So in each one of us, our flesh is born first and then as Jesus taught Nicodemus in order to come to the kingdom and to be a part of the kingdom you must be born again and born second that the spirit might reign and receive the blessings of the firstborn but I want to continue today and and uh, look at the rest of what Paul is telling us I don't think we'll get all through. The way through verse uh, chapter 9, but we'll see where we get. Starting in verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. So Paul is thinking about the questions. He's writing to the church in Rome, and he's thinking, These are the things that are going to come up when I say this. People are going to go, Well, that's unfair. That's unrighteous. That shouldn't be that way. But Paul says that God is not unrighteous. He's certainly not. And he's pulling this out of a scripture, and I'd like to look at that because Paul doesn't just make statements out of his own thoughts. Rather, he makes statements that the Holy Spirit has led him to remember in teachings so let's turn back to um deuteronomy 32 it's on page 240. I believe Paul has a reason for taking us back to this understanding. So I want you to grab hold of the things he's going to tell us in this reading here and then watch as he unpacks this a little more today. So in Deuteronomy 32, verse uh, let's start with verse 3. <clears throat> By the way, Moses is the one, if you look at the page before this, Moses is actually... Assembled the people together, and this is a song that Moses is singing to the children of Israel before they would go into the promised land. Okay, so starting in verse 3, he says, Moses says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. So Moses is making this declaration of who God is. Paul is picking up on that. And he's saying, what shall we say just because you may not think it's right? It is right, because God cannot be unjust. God cannot be unrighteous. He is holy. He is good. He is justice. He is righteousness. And he is the rock. That's what Moses was telling us. Paul is picking up on this and saying that, yes, you have to look deeper into the understanding that God of what God is saying in these places and not just come in your fleshly ways and assume God is being unrighteous he says certainly not <clears throat> verse 15 says for he says to Moses i will have mercy on whomever i will have mercy and i will have compassion on whomever i will have compassion So this verse right here, this verse, and then all the way down through 19, we're going to look at that a little more. But um, it is a scripture that is often taught by some teachers and by some pastors and by some denominations that because of God's sovereignty, and we would agree with that God is sovereign, so don't mishear me, He is certainly sovereign. But they would teach that out of his sovereignty, God has the right to choose who would be saved and who would not. It's called predestination. And they would tell you that God in his sovereignty has chosen already before time those people who will be saved and that God chose them. And they use this scripture right here to back it up. And then they would say that some, he just passes over. So if you're in the chosen ones, good for you. If not, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just the way it is. And they pull this from right here because it says, and let's read it again, for he says to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Well, when you read that, it does sound a little difficult to understand right off the bat. But one thing I want to tell you immediately, and I want us to look at this, so put your marker here. We're going to flip back and forth a little bit. This would contradict other scriptures in the bible this understanding to believe this in the way that god out of his sovereignty chooses who can be saved and who cannot be saved that god choosing that is absolutely unbiblical and i want to back that up for you so if you'll turn with me to john three sixteen, it's on page 12 23 very familiar passage. There are many passages you could pull from, but I I just pulled a couple because it is my belief that the Bible cannot contradict itself. So if you, you even find one scripture that contradicts another, you have to question what is being said. So John 3:16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes. So where does the choice come down to? Does it come down to God? Does it says for God chose whoever would receive eternal life? No. It says, for whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus himself makes this very clear. That you have a choice. I have a choice. Everyone, whoever chooses to believe in him. And that we have talked about that word believe in a place where it is a trusting in him and it changes your life, but whoever comes to that decision, that person is the one that receives eternal life, salvation. I want to take you to another scripture, it's 1 Timothy 2, and I didn't give you a number, let me grab you a page number. Timothy, two, it's on page thirteen sixty two. Starting in verse three, page thirteen sixty two. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the heart of the Father is that all would be saved, that all would come to know the truth. That's the heart of the Father, not the heart of the Father to pick and choose salvation for some and not for others. That's why I think it is so important that we see the children of Israel, that God chose them for his purpose, but he didn't choose them to be special and the only ones to be saved. And Romans is going to help us to understand that more fully as we go through the rest of the chapters. Now, if we go back to Romans... and we see this place right here, then we know that what uh, what Moses is saying and Paul is quoting in verse 15, let's read it again so that we know it's not saying what we thought it was saying, and then we can see what it is saying. For he says to Moses, so God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So, Paul is quoting this in this very place where he's talking to us about the subject of flesh and spirit. We just have been talking over the last couple of, two or three weeks, over all the way from chapter 8. All the way through to understand chapter 9, he is still talking about flesh and spirit. So I want us to understand more fully what he's talking about here. So we're going to go to Exodus 33, it's on page 101. Leave your marker here. Exodus 3 101. I'm sorry, Exodus 33, I'm telling you wrong. On page 101, Exodus 33. Exodus 33, page 101. Any time that you find Paul or any of the writers quoting something from the Old Testament, in order to fully understand it, you have to go back and see what's going on when this was quoted. Because what I've learned through the years about Jewish teaching and Jewish understandings and Jewish writers, of which Paul is, is that they give you just a nugget of what they're talking about, knowing that the people who are reading this, the Jewish people would understand the fullness of what is going on. And so when Paul gives you just a glimpse of it, they, he knows they understand the whole story. We might not understand the whole story, so to understand what Paul's saying, we must go back and read what's going on. So Exodus 33, let's start in verse 13. It says, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, Moses is writing this, by the way, Uh, in your sight. Show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how, then, will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Then verse 18 says, and he said, Moses said, listen to this carefully, please show me your glory. So God has just told him that he's going to use Moses. He's chosen Moses. He doesn't love Moses more than you, but he's chosen Moses for a purpose. And the purpose is to lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses is saying, listen, I'll go, but I'm not going unless you're going with me. And that is the heart of Moses. He loves the Lord, and he wants to be in alignment with the Lord. And so verse 18, then he says, and he says, Moses said, show me your glory. You remember we talked about this a a couple of weeks ago. The glory is a visual sign of God's presence. That's what Moses is crying out for. He says, I need something that I can hold on to. He wants this. And then God speaks back to him. And Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face you shall not see. My face shall not be seen so Moses is crying out and I want you to hear this so clearly because this is powerful where where uh, Paul is is uh writing about this it crying out he's saying show me show me you're going to be with me show me a sign show me your glory I want to see you it is not in the in a um a selfish place or a place of fear, it is coming out of a heart that is overflowing with love. That Moses is saying, I just want to see you. I want to know your presence is with me. Show me your glory. And then the Lord says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you all oh, my goodness all of who i am is going to pass before you and uh, if you look over uh, on across the page on verse 6 uh, it even says and the lord passed before him and proclaimed the lord the lord god merciful and gracious long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But God is proclaiming to him as he, as he is showing him his glory. He's allowing him to see all of his goodness, all of who he is, his mercy, his graciousness, his long-suffering. But it even says in verse 19, it says, um, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious. That word right there, gracious, can be interchanged with merciful. So Paul used the word mercy but he's using the same word. In the Greek, he's using the word mercy that comes over here and helps us in English to understand this word mercy. He says, I will have mercy upon whoever I have mercy upon, right? But over here, he's quoting out of the Hebrew. He's talking about this scripture right here where he says, I will be gracious And I will, uh, uh, upon whom I will be gracious. And this word gracious is the same word as mercy. But the other thing I want you to know is the same word is for grace, comes out of this word of understanding grace. And a long time ago we studied in Ephesians and we understood the fullness of grace is a gift, so it's so important that you have to understand right here that this understanding of, of what God is saying, that I will give a gift to whoever I choose to give a gift to, okay? And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then he tells Moses, he says, you can't see my face because no man can see my face and live, But he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you and put you and place you right up here by me in the cleft of the rock. Now, what did we read a while ago? That Moses was declaring, he is the rock. Jesus. You see, what God is saying is, I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you in Jesus. And then you can see me. You can see my presence because you're in Jesus. All my life, it just clicked yesterday. I was sitting there and I thought, all my life, I've thought about Moses being up here on this rock. Everybody think that? But, you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago that the Bible is a book of pictures of types and shadows of understandings, the physical is a reflection of the spiritual. And it is so true. This rock is Jesus. He's putting him in Jesus that he might see his presence. When you understand all this, then everything that Paul is writing begins to open up. So Then he comes on to say, and I don't want to leave this, in verse 23, he says, Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. He lets him see enough of him. But the fullness is not going to happen until the future, when we will see with unveiled faces face to face. But Moses could see his back. He could see his presence was there. He could see his glory. Okay, let me see. Um, I want to take you just to, um, let's go back and read in, Romans, so flip back to Romans. Now I want to read this again in verse 15. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy. I will will give this free gift on whomever I will have mercy, on whomever I will give this free gift to. In other words, what he is saying is God is sovereign, and he has the right to give this free gift to anyone he chooses through his plan, which opens up the gift to everyone. God is not saying, I will give my gift to you, Adam, but not to you, Kathy, God is not saying that. God is saying, I have a gift upon whom I can give this to whomever I want to. And if you want it and you want it and you want it and you want it, you can all receive it. And I think that will become more clear as we continue here. Now looking at verse 16, it says, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Okay, so it's not of me who wills this to be done, who makes the decision that God should give me a gift. It's not of me. It's not of him who wills nor of him who runs. I looked up this word runs because I thought that's just such a strange place right here. And I loved what I saw. It means making progress on your own way. It means that, in other words, you can't will this to be done and you can't work at it hard enough and you can't do your own way hard enough to get this gift of salvation, this free gift. It's only God who shows the mercy. Now, what I want you to begin to see here is this plan of salvation, this free gift. This is God's plan. That's what mercy is. It's his plan. You see, we were separated from God. And out of his mercy... You see that? He created a way that mankind could be restored to the presence of God. Where? In Jesus. Do you see what we were just reading? Your heart cries out, God, show me who you are. And He says, I will have mercy on whoever I have mercy. I have a plan. For anyone who wants to come and grab hold of the plan and join in and receive my plan of salvation. And they will see the glory if they're in Jesus, the rock. You see, the plan was from the beginning before the foundation, To the end, it hasn't changed. All right, verse uh, 16. So it says, "So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who really works on his own ways, but of God who shows mercy, mercy to create His plan." Now, I want I want you to leave your marker here, and I want to look at John 1, page 1220. because I want you to see that what Paul is writing uh, goes right along with what Jesus taught. So John chapter 1, is on page 1220, verse 12. But as many as received him, Do you see that? But as many as received him, Jesus, the gift, the free gift of salvation through Jesus. But but as many as received him, to them he gave, God gave the gift, the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You see that? That's what Paul's writing about. Nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see that place? Not because of your will of the flesh, not because of the will of man, No. No, but because of God. And what, what happened? What was, the, what was that? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, full of the free gift and truth. I love seeing this. It just opened it all up for me, and I pray it will do that for you. Let's read it all together again. But as many as received him, received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, they had to be born again of God, of the Spirit. And then, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, turn back to Romans, please. And, um, and now let's read 16 again. So then, it's not of him who wills. That's what we just read in John. No, no, no. Or him who does his own way, progresses in his own manner. No, not that. But of God who shows mercy through his son Jesus that we might see the glory. Now read verse 17. Let me see if I want to tell you anything else right there. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Now what some people will teach you right here that is untruth, and we're going to see that in Scripture, is that God chose to raise up Pharaoh to be in sin uh, for his power and purpose. But that doesn't work because of the Scriptures we just read in Timothy and in John 3.16, Right? It does not work because God's heart is what? That all mankind, all men would come to be saved. So that doesn't work. That can't be what he's saying. So let's do what we've done here is to go back and look up and to read um, what's going on with Pharaoh And I have a lot of scriptures I want to share with you. So I think the first one we want to go to is Exodus 5. It's on page 65. Leave your marker here. Page 65. Oh, I'm sorry. Nope. Let's go to Exodus, um, no, this is fine. Exodus 5 and verse um, 1. See, page 65, Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, listen to this, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and uh, to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So we just saw the heart of Moses. Now what is Paul teaching on in chapter 9 and chapter 8? Flesh and spirit. So what he's doing is comparing again flesh and spirit. But he started with Moses, and he said, here's Moses. His heart is chasing after the spirit of God. Now he's coming and saying, here's Pharaoh. And how's he coming? He's coming and saying, I don't know who this Lord God is of of Israel. I'm not letting these people go. Who is this Lord? I don't know him. You see the contrast flesh and spirit. Paul's not changing what he's teaching us, but he's going deeper. All right, now I want to go down to 8. Chapter 8, turn over a few pages to chapter 8, verse 15. So, Pharaoh doesn't, you know, uh, Moses comes in and says, God said, let the people go. And Pharaoh says, no, I won't, because I don't even know who God is. And so, he says, who is this God? So, God says, hmm, I'll show you who I am. And so, he begins to send the plagues. The first one was, water turns to blood remember mm-hmm and um, and then he sends the frogs because Pharaoh even though he sees the water turns to blood he's um, doesn't change his mind he's still not going to let the people go but God is showing him who he is and as you remember it each one of these plagues is against the gods of the Egypt and so God is bringing his hand against the gods that they were worshipping and that Pharaoh worshipped. And Pharaoh also set himself up as a god and then wor- these, worshipped these gods as well throughout the land. So, um, so we've had the blood and then the frogs. So if you'll turn to chapter 8 here on page 68, it says, Um, In verse 8, it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Retreat the Lord. I love that. That he may take away the frogs from me, from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So, man, it didn't take long after the frogs were everywhere that Pharaoh says, Oh, my goodness, call in your God and ask him to retreat, to back up. And take all these frogs with him, and I'll let these people go. Now, I want you to look on down to verse uh, 15, okay? It says, but when Pharaoh saw there was relief when the frogs left, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. He said, yeah, get get a hold of your Lord and have him take these frogs away. But when God did take the frogs away, then he didn't hold up to his word and his heart hardened. It says he hardened his heart. The Lord did not harden his heart here. I want you to see this so clearly. And I looked up this word years ago and it's a word called bad and it means to be heavy. To be weighty. In other words, his heart became heavy. Hardened. Heavier. Have you ever had a place where your heart was hardened and you can just feel it inside your heart? That's what's happening. But he did this. Pharaoh did this. Now I want to look across the page in chapter 8, verse 32. It says, but Pharaoh, um, let's see, there's another plague here. Of lice I believe the lice came in and uh, verse 32 says but Pharaoh hardened his heart at the time also at this time also neither would he let the people go so this word hardened again is this word uh kabod and and it means to be weightier to be heavier and um then if you go down to verse 7 and the and the pharaoh then pharaoh sent in and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israel was dead but the heart of pharaoh became hard so every time god did something to show pharaoh who he was and that he deserved to be honored as the Lord and King of God above all gods, King of all kings. Every time Pharaoh would harden his heart, do you see that? All right, turn the page over to um, page, uh, the next page over to chapter ten, verse sixteen. Actually, look across the page at uh, chapter 9, verse 12. <clears throat> so um, God continues to bring, he, the livestock begin to die. There's a, uh, a plague of boils that comes forth. And, but Pharaoh still uh, continues in the same heart. Then verse 12 says, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So God had told Moses that his heart would become hardened because God knows all things. But God did not harden his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. Now we get to this place, and it says, but the Lord hardened his heart. And this word is a word that um, it is um, kazag. It's a little bit different from the Karbad. This one is Karzag, and it means to grow firm. It means that it becomes stronger in whatever choice has been made. So in this place, what God is doing when it says he hardened Pharaoh's heart is that Pharaoh had already decided to be hard and not to align with the Lord, to rebel against the Lord. His heart was hardened against the Lord. Now the Lord, in this word, is giving him what he asked for. He is firming up his decision that he's made. It was not God's choice to harden Pharaoh's heart. In fact, it says in Romans that the Lord raised him up What that means is it raised him up to be Pharaoh over Egypt. And then the Lord was giving him a choice. He raised him up. He says, I'm going to use you in this place. You can let the people go and my name will be proclaimed throughout the world or throughout the nations. Or you cannot let them go and you can go down this road place you've gone and my name will still be proclaimed in other words God's plan is going to be fulfilled no matter what choice Pharaoh makes it only affects Pharaoh so look again at verse let me see verse 16 chapter 10 verse 16 And it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Pharaoh knew he had sinned. Pharaoh knew he had sinned. Verse 17 says, Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God, that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. Now turn your page to 72. And then look on down. Knowing that he had sinned against the Lord. Verse 10 says, So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of the land. He again kazagged. Kazag. He He caused that to be stronger. What Pharaoh had decided, knowing he was sinning against the Lord, knowing he was in rebellion against the things that God had asked of him to do, was when he hardened his heart because he became arrogant and rebellious And he was disobedient. And these things harden our hearts. And the Lord says, fine, you want to be there? I'll give you the strength to truly be strong in what you believe. That's a scary place for me, folks. That we would be rebellious and arrogant enough to think that we could come against the Most High God and it not have... An eternal effect on us. I want to turn back to, um, let me see. Let me look at one thing. No. I want to turn back to Romans, please. Now I want to read this place in verse 17 with this understanding. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. Not the purpose to cause him to sin. That's not what this is saying. He raised him up to be Pharaoh. Pharaoh to have an opportunity to choose one way or the other. That I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. You see, had Pharaoh chosen to be obedient to God. God's name and his power would be raised up as he brought the children out of Egypt with Pharaoh being obedient. And his name would be declared throughout the earth. But Pharaoh chose not to be obedient, to be arrogant, to be prideful, to be rebellious. And God still fulfilled his purpose. Verse 18 says, Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. So what God is saying and Paul is saying right here in Romans 18, he has mercy upon whom he wills. His will is what? That all man would come to know the truth and be saved. He has a plan of mercy For who? For all men. But he knows who will receive and who won't, who will not. And on whom he wills, he hardens. And on whom he wills, he hardens. If you are disobedient, it's his will that there will be destruction. I want to go back to John 3:16. I want to show you something because it's completing our understanding here. Um, let me see a page number 12:23. Uh, In Jesus' words, so let's start with John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He, it is His sovereignty allows him to will mercy, a plan, on anyone who will receive. He is sovereign. He has the right, and he's righteous, and he's good, and he's holy. To have mercy on anyone he wills. But verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He, He is not choosing to harden the hearts of anyone. But if we harden our hearts, we have condemned ourselves, and God will harden your heart to the degree of your rebellion. He will strengthen your rebellion. Verse 19 on Romans, go back to Romans, says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will, his purpose? And Paul writes in verse 20, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? He's like, who are you to be questioning? You know, he's, he's... He has these thoughts that he knows people are going to be asking. And Paul writes and says, you know, why does he still find fault? Why is he finding fault with Pharaoh? But if you go back and understand Pharaoh, you see why he's finding fault with him. And he says, but who can resist his purpose or his will? Yeah, you can. You can resist his purpose and will because God allows that. So Paul is writing these rhetorical questions that we can understand. They're questions we probably have as well if you don't understand the fullness. But verse 20 says, but indeed, O man, who are you to question God is really the best way to understand that. Will the things formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? So can you see Pharaoh saying, Why have you made me like this? And God's going, I didn't make you like this. You chose. Listen, verse 21 says, Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Here's the key, the same lump. God made everybody the same, the same lump. It doesn't say he took two lumps and of some he made honorable people and some people dishonorable. No, no, no. It says, does the potter have power over the clay? The potter does. But the potter also allows for us to choose from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. I want you to turn to Second Timothy um, page thirteen sixty seven. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. Well, let's start with 19 because it's a good place to start. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see, there's a choice. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from the dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work, prepared for his purpose. But he's saying... If you, you're here and if, you're, if you've got some things in you that are dishonorable, you've got to cleanse those out that you can be a vessel of honor. God doesn't make some people bad and some people good. He didn't make Moses to desire a relationship with him and Pharaoh to be rebellious he made them out of the same lump our last reading of in romans let's turn back to romans verse 22 What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? That's Pharaoh. God, it says He endured with much long suffering the vessel of, reva- of wrath, who and we read into that prepared for destruction. That God prepared? No, that. Pharaoh prepared. He prepared himself for destruction. And verse 23 says, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. In the second it says... He had prepared beforehand what the vessels of mercy. He's not talking about the vessels here. He's talking about the the riches of his glory which he's prepared beforehand. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels which he had prepared beforehand for glory. He didn't make them to be the ones who would receive his mercy. But beforehand, he knew who it would be. And he had prepared the riches of his glory for those. Paul is continuing to help us understand what it looks like to walk in flesh and to walk in spirit. And to read this in any other way distorts our understanding and causes us to be confused. So I pray that this settles your minds today and that you see that Paul is taking us deeper and deeper and saying if you're going to walk in the spirit, in fact can you just turn with me one last place and look go back to page uh, it's one page back from where we were in Romans on page 1300 Romans 8 sorry I had everybody But I just think this is so powerful. It helps us to close all this in together. Verse 8, chapter, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation, no death penalty, no punishment, that's condemnation, to those who are in Christ Jesus and walk according to the, and do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, Pharaoh walked according to the flesh. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Praise Jesus. If you'll stand with me, I pray that this will penetrate your heart and that you will um, listen. Listen. For the voice of the Lord, I saw how he spoke to to Moses because Moses was crying out to see him. And I saw how he spoke to Pharaoh because Pharaoh was being arrogant and prideful. But what I saw in both of them is he was speaking. He speaks to us to warn us, to change us, to humble us. I pray we would listen. Stand with me.
7: um